This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Territory Story Podcast. This is the Weekends with Walshy edition. I'm flying solo uh, because Pete's doing a gig. Uh, at least that's what he tells me. But that's all right. We have got our special guest, uh, as we do every week, Chris Walsh. Chris from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Leon. Good to see you. Don't know where Pete is, but it's good to see you anyway. Thank you. And you well, he's too. at a gig. He's at he's a, gig. a gig. That's it. Uh, that's it. Uh, look, uh, it's been a big week, Chris, for you. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no signs of slowing down anytime soon either. We've got a a big report that we um, have been in receipt of, and uh, pouring over that for the past little while. And uh, some of those stories have started to roll out. I think by Saturday morning, when this airs, there'll be a couple of more, a couple more stories. Um, yeah, amazing stuff here. The insight that we're getting to behind the scenes, really, of how that whole police operation went down in Uendamu in 2019. Of yeah, course, right. Now we will get we'll get into those stories, yeah. but but off the bat, the first thing I'd like to know is, you know, you've broken the the, the these stories over the last couple of days. Uh, what's the competition up to, uh, <laughs> if, if we can call it that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the NT News had a story about a bouncer getting angry with somebody. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I think there were stories about dogs. Um, so no one's uh, running with this stuff or no one's uh, picking Well, up? look, yeah, look, so we've run two now as of Thursday night. I guess, like, I kind of get it from there since they don't have what we have yeah, and yeah. we ain't giving them what we have. You know, there are times <laughs> when I do yes. with FOIs and I'll just say, mm. here, everybody go. But this mm. one is so confidential and something that we didn't even think we'd ever get. So we're keeping that close to our chest for now. Of course, the coronial is going to kick off on Monday. But um, but you would still think that, you know, there are still ways to do that. And you would do a brief somewhere about mm. this, like, here's what's going to come up at the Coronial. Everybody's talking about this. And, and you know, from Monday, we're really going to get a sense of what what the what the coroner is looking at with that. So, yeah, we're, you know, Leon, though, I like I've got to say just to um, for us at the Independent, we're, we're happy about this. It reminded me of, you know, before the ICAC. Uh, report into the grandstand that we had a series of exclusive reports based on documents we obtained where we kind of had everything out public before the ICAC even came out with his report. Mm-hmm. And let me say, it was not from the ICAC either, right? I know the NT News likes to claim that, not from the ICAC. Um, in this case, too, I think what we're showing is a, a lot of stories that, that that will probably be part of the findings of the coroner when that's done into the shooting death of uh, Kumanjai Walker. But uh, at the NT Independent right now, you're going to read, um, you know, internal documents that shed light on everything. This is stuff that the coroner will be sifting through. Mm. Um, you get it here first. So I guess that's my <laughs> little promotion piece for it. Mm. But as, as a journalist, I just, that's what we always strive to do. We know what's in the public interest. We want to get it to people, read it before anybody else. And, um, yeah, I think, I think so far we're, we're delivering on that commitment to getting that stuff out because, and let me just say this about this with the coroner's report. I'm, 
I'm concerned of what the coroner would actually look at. And I'm not disparaging her in any way. Mm. I'm just saying the way that the police might try to manipulate or manage, let's say, mm. uh, their side of things to have this internal police report that actually shows what their side is, mm. is so important that that gets out in the public uh, before the coroner starts officially on Monday. And even if it goes into to while she's doing what she does, uh, the public need to see what has actually transpired here that that's been suppressed from them to this point. We mm. did not know of all the failings in in uh, that operation that night in Uendamu, and now we're starting to see it, and it's shocking, just absolutely shocking. Um, can I talk to you about um, the doctrine of sub Judas? Uh, how does that <laughs> well? You're you're the lawyer. You're yeah, the, yeah. I, but I don't. What I don't know is how does it play out for journalists? I mean, do, are you guys bound by a code in relation to that? Or oh yeah, well look yeah. Well, when there are suppression orders, we adhere to that absolutely, and I think we have an example of that coming up. Um, and then there are ways that you know uh, with counsel we legal counsel that we could try and find a way to to get that information out to people to make sure it doesn't interfere with the court process now yeah when you're bringing up sub judas issues with the coroner i'm not aware of that there's a way to that it would you know in any way prejudice the coroner because you mm. there's no jury yeah. let's say and i think i was explaining that to somebody this week like there's there's no jury to to taint um this is the coroner uh, we'll so let's let's to, let, let's back yeah. back up a bit so yeah. that people actually understand what this means. Uh, well, you talked about suppression orders, and and they're important in the context of jury trials because, um, for example, when the the Rolf trial was on, yeah. and Channel Seven, I think it was at Channel Seven with the Spotlight report, uh, that was uh, suppressed from publication anywhere in the Northern Territory, as I understand. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't yeah. see that piece right. here at all. Yeah. And the whole reason behind that was because if any potential jurors saw that, that might corrupt or uh, the, 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 the whole jury trial because they, they may have been influenced by stuff that they saw, which uh, they shouldn't have seen prior to it being put to them uh, at trial. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that how it... Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. And that's um, the thing, because when, when you have that with journalists, sometimes with journalism, we can show everything. But then does that effect because in court, maybe some of that footage and most of that was body worn. That was the shocking stuff, the body worn camera stuff. Mm -hmm. So that, that can be shown on TV. But then when you get into the courtroom, maybe some of that's suppressed for different reasons or not used. And, yeah, and right. so if a juror had already seen something, they would have a, a maybe preconceived idea of what yeah, that right. would be so. But in relation to a coronial inquest, it's different because there's no jury. There's yeah. just um, a, a judge. Is it? Is that right? Is, there, is it a, a, the coroner? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, which is uh, Elizabeth Armitage, of course, yeah. who they just recently appointed full time. And they kind of did that before this happened because people were saying, "Well, if she's not put in that role full time, mm. are we sure that you know she isn't going to do something the government likes in order to get that secure?" full-time position right. and of course not not on her personally saying that but just that was the perception and so right. now they've appointed her full-time coroner and i'm sure she'll do a, a fine job of it yeah, um, right yeah. right and, and so um in in terms of discussing issues before uh the coroner looks at it uh you don't see any any issues with that because no 
there's nothing to taint. Is that is that what? Yeah, you're the, the, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and and look, some of the stuff that we reported this week uh, had been suppressed before the murder trial, right? Um, including the existence of the Pollock report. You know, at some point that became a thing before the murder trial, even though it had been reported when it came out that Chalker had suppressed this uh, allegations, he had buried it. Uh, you know, the the police then put forward a motion to have any mention of that suppressed because it could influence a potential jury yeah. if they knew that the commissioner was behaving in this way. And um, well, anyway, so that's all done with now. We're going on to the, the coronial where we're hopefully get some answers um, for the bigger, bigger issue here. of What was at play instead of that? narrowly focused murder trial and and i'll tell you leon we don't have it up now but i'll just tell you that there are other things to come out in this series of stories that will um uh i guess shed light on some stuff where i think people are going to say holy good god how did that not come out in the in the murder trial right Right? because there's stuff here that 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 relates to state of mind at the time, there's a, a whole bunch of revelations that are going to come out here and people will say, wow, you know, how didn't they get in there? Is this lawyers that some one side have better lawyers than the other that were able to keep some of this stuff out? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. All right. Well, let's get into the stories. The first story is uh, um, a, a police, uh, anti-police watch commander acting senior sergeant Neil Mellon is, to, is facing 31 charges including a conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. Um, but uh, you say with the details of his alleged offences, uh, 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 but not, not his name, revealed at a press conference which police sources told the anti-independent was highly unusual for the police to hold. Yeah, look, this, is, um, this was a big shocking story here uh, late last week into the weekend, early into this week. Uh, and I think it still is. I think we're all still digesting it and waiting for more facts to come out. But what we have here is a, yeah, a, a very senior uh, NT police officer, uh, like you said, acting senior Sergeant Neil Mellon. Now, yeah, these charges are serious. 31 charges. Um, I think, Leon, I, I don't know if we got to talk about that last week, but it was somewhere around Thursday or something that we broke that story of who it was. We'd gone to police and said, why haven't you named this guy? You've arrested him. As we understand, he was the acting watch commander. Uh, he went into the police station to work and they arrested him on Thursday morning. And so uh, we ran the story, and I think an hour later, they put out a uh, press release telling everybody about it and saying then, and then somehow, uh, I think it was the next day, Friday morning, they called a press conference. Now, this is a senior officer, and let's not forget this, and a highly commended senior officer at that, so it's certainly in the public interest, and we would never criticize the anti-police for not uh, giving more information you know, um, about a particular case, because most times they suppress it. But in this case, it was it was deemed strange that they would uh, hold a press conference to discuss the details of exactly uh, what Neil Mellon was charged with. And uh, I think that there was a lot of uh, police officers that we spoke with who felt that that was in some way uh, you know, trying to humiliate publicly, humiliate Mellon more. And there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into this, too. I mean, there were things that happened uh, in terms of the uh, the raid of his house. He was arrested uh, 
on the Thursday morning. He was handcuffed. And then we'll get back into that. Uh, uh, Zach Rolf was never handcuffed and he was charged with murder. Um, this guy was handcuffed very publicly in the police station office. He, uh, his house was then raided, um, while he was in custody and his wife was home, we believe at the time. Um, she's also a police officer. She is. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Sandy Mellon. And then she made some, uh, allegations on social media. I think everybody's talking about that. It hasn't really been reported. Uh, you know, it's kind of a personal thing, but, um, yeah, she had, uh, raised issues about, uh, marital issues, let's say, um, about the two of them, but that she wasn't aware of until the house was raided. Um, so this is, this is an idea that, that what happened here, the police were sending a message, right? And, and this was a full blown message. And, and I remember saying to Woody on the Friday morning, I said, you know, I don't remember anything like this except for, the Shana commits matter. And at that thing, the police uh, tipped off the media, everyone except the NT News, because they were angry with the NT News at the time, uh, that the arrest was going to happen. So all the camera crews were down there and they watched Shana Kamitsis get marched out of her office in handcuffs. And, uh, and then a press conference followed about what they were doing. And she was being charged. And we know now later that that was to send a message to McRoberts the former commissioner, who, of course, ended up going to jail and being convicted for perverting the course of justice. But they were sending a message to him by this very public handling of this. Uh, and so I said to Woody, I mean, you know, who are they sending a message to with this? Because this is all now very public. Uh, and to hold the press conference where they discussed it. Uh, yeah, look, there, there's a lot going on here. And we'll get into some of that in a second here. I just want to point out. So it was acting Deputy Commissioner Michael White. In front of the press conference, of course, we don't know where the commissioner is these days. He hasn't been in the media 157 days or something. Anyway, he uh, he did say that, uh, that this had happened, that these charges, very serious charges, uh, attempting to pervert the course of justice and destruction of evidence charges uh, related to an investigation that sprung from a major crash investigation that commenced in February. He said uh, Sergeant Mellon had also been charged with unlawfully accessing data, disclosing confidential information, the destruction of evidence and obtaining benefit by deception. They also, and this is another key thing here, Leon, they got him for possessing fireworks, prohibited weapons, unregistered firearm, manufacturing prohibited weapons, failing to meet storage requirements, interfering with protecting protected wildlife and stealing. Now, yeah, when you're going in there, they're really throw, going overboard and get them for fireworks possession. <laughs> like, he didn't like them off on Territory Day, so they got them on that as well. This is where we start to think there's something bigger going on here. There, there's, a, there's something bigger going on. Uh, now, they said, I think that they ended it by, well, we had some sources in here saying uh, that it is that it is interesting the way that they've gone about this. Uh White had said, it's important to recognize the behavior of this officer, Mellon, who they didn't name him, but they, you know, everybody knew. And it was when they did the press conference, I'm sorry, it was when other media started reporting his name, then they did the press conference, but we were the first ones to do it. So everybody knew who it was at that point. Uh, He will be before the courts and the matter is in relation to the damage and mistrust of his position within the police force. 
that it undermined the integrity of the Northern Territory police and the community of the Northern Territory. Uh, he said it's a very disappointing, upsetting, and frustrating event that's occurred. So, okay, but we we don't know still what is this. I mean, you give us some information, you, you make this very public, but what are you getting at here? Uh, and again, we're not allowed to go. We weren't invited to that. I would have asked that question at any time. Sorry. You reference it in relation to a crash investigation. Which crash? Or is it a crash that we know about? And, you know, I was saying that to Woody. I said, if, if it's about a crash, this has to be a very high-profile crash. Hmm. And it's either something that he's covered up that we don't know about involving a high-profile person or something that happened. Now, we were thinking motor vehicle crash. Uh, no. No, it turns out this is the uh, in relation to the very high profile uh, helicopter crash back in February. Now, as I mentioned, Michael White said this is in relation to a crash investigation that commenced in February. Well, it was uh, February 28th when um, the OPAC Wrangler cast member, Chris Willow Wilson, uh, uh, tragically died while collecting crocodile eggs. he was, of course, in the harness underneath that picked those up and the helicopter pilot. Uh, he was um, uh, critically injured and, and had to be taken to, uh, to hospital. It was kind of all over the place. So they were out at King River in the NT, a very remote area, um, collecting these eggs. Um, now, what happened was that uh, this crash had claimed the life of Wilson uh, while he was collecting it. Uh, the pilot, uh, Robinson, Sebastian Robinson, was taken to hospital. Uh, what the police are now alleging, and this is from sources, but uh, it appears that they've uh, confirmed that with the Australian as well, but we have a few good sources as well, that uh, w- these charges against Sergeant Mellon relate to that investigation. W- what the Australian, and I'll just quote them, they said that he, uh, uh, I think he had, um, yeah, he had flown to the scene of the helicopter crash Mellon had while off duty on February 28th to retrieve his friend's body. They said now before emergency services had arrived. So this gets very interesting. Now, of course, the ATSB uh, have done a preliminary investigation. When you go back and you read that, you start to see some things that are interesting in that about the placement of things at the crash scene uh and and yeah how people were positioned how different things were moved around in the helicopter so um i guess we'll see what what goes on uh with that and where that goes of course uh wilson is a uh, he was 34 a longtime friend and colleague of crocodile wrangler matt wright and had appeared on, and I don't know if you know this show, Leon, this National Geographic's Outback Wrangler, Matt Wright. Oh, I've heard of it. I've never watched yeah. it. Yeah. I don't, is it even in Australia? I think they got it in 130 countries. I'm not sure Australia is one of them. Oh, no, wait. No, yeah. Channel 9, I think, ran it late at night over the weekend sometime. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So, look, this guy, uh, Willow, as he's known to his friends, and, and he had a lot of them, of course, his, his funeral happening earlier this year. Um so, yeah, so so there's some connections there. Now, also, Wilson 
was the managing director of Northern Australia Civil, a company whose co-directors Crocodile Farmer and Darwin Publican McBurns. Um, so that's interesting. Of course, that's where Matt Wright has his kind of office front is in that uh, Crocosaurus Cove complex. Um, so anyway, at this point, I guess we will see where this investigation goes. Like I said, the ATSB are still investigating uh, the cause of the crash. Uh, they said that it, it didn't appear that there was uh, any uh, particular engine issue that, that caused it, although it, it was understood that the engine had stopped somehow before it hit the ground and caused the death. So, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll wait for that investigation to continue that the feds are doing. But meanwhile, we now have a, a very senior sergeant uh, facing some very serious charges uh, in connection to it. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, I, well, this is going to be a very police-heavy uh, <laughs> uh, week, Chris, because you've got okay. another story here, former assistant police commissioner managing NT police problems. <laughs> yeah, look, I was surprised by this. Yeah, typically, you would think the uh, current commissioner for police could probably manage some problems, but uh, <laughs> that that seemed to be the message. You know, Natasha Files was on with Katie again. Um, <laughs> I recorded it again, like I always do. I listened to it multiple times, transcribed it. Uh, yeah, I found it interesting that um, the kind of language she had used now. We had uh, heard from sources for uh, probably about a week, um, 10 days leading up to this, that uh, uh, speculating that Jeanette Kerr, now she's a former assistant police commissioner uh, and had been with the anti-police for, I believe, 30 years or so before moving over to Territory Families in 2016, uh, that she's been widely tipped to replace Chalker. Um, and but I thought he had the support of the government. <laughs> well, very publicly, he does. Uh, privately, behind closed doors, that's a whole other matter. <laughs> so, yeah, what um, I mean, look, that's what we were hearing. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, you know, well, one source said, look, uh, Warden and Kerr, uh, they get along. Uh, Warden worked in territory families at one point as well. Um, so, yeah, so whether or not uh, that's it, you know, when we're we're at that point saying, okay, well, yes, we know that the speculation is rife within police ranks that this is it, but we haven't heard anything from the government yet. And, uh, and then Natasha Files goes on, and in the span of, a, you know, 10 minutes, the first half of the interview, talks about Jeanette Kerr multiple times. So we thought, okay, well, what, what exactly is she doing? Um, and this is where things get interesting because Katie had very clearly asked uh, Natasha Files, uh, you know, what, what is the government doing, point blank, what is the government doing to address concerns raised in the recent Anti-Police Association survey that showed 80% of police respondents had no faith in chalker to leave the force. They'd also raised those other concerns about low police morale, staffing issues, various health and well-being concerns. And this is one of those things I had to go back over multiple times you know, because I didn't understand at first what the woman was saying. She said at one point, uh, you know, it seemed to me that it was to uh, provide supports to police as if it was addressing those concerns raised in the NTPA survey. But at other times, it sounded like I think by the time she ended it, 
she got into like crime and the number of patrols going on in Alice Springs. So it's like, well, what, what is Jeanette Kerr's involvement? We, we got a little more um, insight into that, I guess, this morning when Kay Warden said, uh, the police minister said, look, she's been um, overseeing almost a restructure of this. Uh, they're looking at the financial side of police and also the operational side. Uh, so why they would bring someone in from territory families to do that is a bit unusual. Um, Warden was careful to say, oh, well, the, you know, we've been working with the police commissioner. Now, that's something that Natasha Files left out completely. So she said, look, Jeanette Kerr, and she's asked about these issues specifically with the deep dissatisfaction in the, in the police rank and file. And she said, well, Jeanette Kerr has done the deep dive in Alice Springs. We're shifting also to do a deep dive in the Casarina area. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was talking about that. Mm. So uh, we have a number of government and non-government services to work on the front line. And we need to make sure that they're in a coordinated approach. That we're not just leaving that to all our police officers. Now, Kerr, as I said, had served in the police for 30 years. She was the NT's first female assistant police commissioner in 2015, but then left police completely to go to Territory Families, which has also got housing in it now, if that sounds familiar. Mm. The current commissioner came from housing. Um, anyway, at the time that was set up to, uh, in, uh, in 2016, when Labor got in, they had, uh, saw the territory families, this kind of super department they were creating would handle youth justice issues, which is interesting. The CLP has said, no, it's got to go back to corrections, but it seemed to be they wanted families. Uh, the then children's commissioner, Colleen Gwynn, uh, a close personal friend of Jeanette at the time, was supportive of that decision to move it into territory families. Uh, yeah, so Files had said on Monday that Kerr had done an, a, quote, enormous amount of work in Alice Springs to reorganize the police's approach to combating youth crime. I was down there with her and the police minister last week, Files said, tying together the resources that we have, making sure everybody's working together, not in isolation, and making sure that we have a highly visible response that we're engaging not only young people, but the other factors that lead to crime and antisocial behavior. Now, as I said here, it was unclear why Chalk or any of his executive team would not have been involved in the reorganization efforts, or if Files had simply forgot to mention uh, Chalker or his executive's contribution. Uh, she said that going forward, it's doing this deep dive, Files said it's engaging with some of the private property owners. Uh, in Alice Springs, she said about ongoing crime issues. So what police support do we put in there to help them? But equally, what are we doing to stop the problem before it escalates to being a police matter? But you've got you've got Jeanette Kerr now going to meet with property owners. Like, and I think she was talking about shopping centers or something there. It, 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 it does seem unusual, especially given that people are talking about uh, uh, the fact that she's tipped to replace the commissioner. It's almost as if they're cutting it. It appears they're cutting Chalker out that they're going to reorganize this. They're dealing with the issues raised, as she says by uh, restructuring everything uh, with the assistance of Jeanette Kerr and the Chalker's kind of taking a back seat here. Uh, yeah, and I look, we went to the NTPA on this and we haven't heard back, but I, I thought like, you know, I mean, we've got sources and, and we've heard what the chief minister said there, but she said, a source had said she, Kerr, has already begun directing operational staff of NT police down in Alice Springs. 
So I'm saying like, how is that even possible? She's not a cop. Mm. So how does that, but you know, I think we'll get into that with how was Chalker able to do things before he was officially sworn in. It seems to be history repeating itself here. And uh, look, we don't know. All of that is, of course, speculation at this point when there's no way we could possibly know what they're talking about behind closed doors. But the fact that they're coming out and really, you know, playing up uh, Jeanette Kerr's involvement in fixing all of the major problems facing police right now, that's certainly telling that something's going on there. Yes, it, uh, it certainly sounds like it. Um, yeah, very odd. All right, well, then it starts to get even more interesting. Files government kills public inquiry into police, says it is currently restructuring the force. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, the CLP was quick to jump on uh, all of the discord, disharmony, what they say is a you know, complete crisis in the anti-police service, hard to argue with them when you've got senior sergeants going down for, uh, uh, well, allegedly perverting the course of justice. But certainly, uh, I, I think there was something like four officers charged with ethical issues or breaches uh, last week alone. That certainly will affect the confidence the community has in the police. So the CLP uh, have been saying this, though, I guess, you know, uh, since the NTPA survey came back. Uh uh, which showed that 80% of respondents didn't have um, confidence in Jamie Chalker. Now, they stopped short of saying anything about Jamie Chalker, as we said, and they always say, no, Kate Warden has to resign. I mean, even when they say that, I can't even, I'm like, okay, but, you know, keep saying that, but th th does that mean anything? I mean, she's been in the job less than three months, about three months now. No, no, I know, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that, you gotta, you got to give time here, and she's kind of aligned some of the things she's doing. Now, this gets right back into what Files said. Now, what happened on Wednesday was uh, the CLP did get their motion up. It got debated um, briefly. Hmm. <laughs> As you know, we've talked about this. And then come in and cut it off, cut off debate, put it to a vote, use their numbers to quash it. And um, yeah, this, this was the same technique that we've seen uh, multiple times on other things that would benefit the public. Now, what the CLP wanted was a uh, select parliamentary committee uh, set up to examine all of these problems. Um, the, you've got the internal problems, but you've also got the the ongoing crime crisis kind of gripping mm -hmm. Alice Springs and, and Darwin, Tennant Creek, all of these places around Catherine. Um, so, yeah, but the, they just killed that. They just killed that outright. Didn't want to debate it. Now, before this happened, while in Parliament, too, so I was going over some of the interview that uh, the police minister, Kay Warden, had given to Mix, uh, and she said similar things in Parliament that day. So she said, uh, we're getting to the bottom of this, meaning those problems, uh, and we don't need a select committee. This is about looking at all of those moving parts within the organization to see where it can best, you know, go forward. I'm out listening to police every day. I hear their views every day. Their concerns are about feeling supported in the workplace, about feeling listened to. And that's the thing that I'm working very hard on with the commissioner and that all of the executive to change that within our police force. So she is acknowledging that there's a, a cultural problem in the anti-police. Now, how she's put that is, uh, I think it got to that point where, well, are you talking about a, a complete restructure here of everything? And she said, well, yes, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, 
that it would involve financial issues. So uh, there's spending and where that's going uh, and the operational side of things and clearly would address these cultural issues. She had also brought up uh, about the disciplinary matters, right? Uh, the NT News got very confused last week about what that meant. And then the disciplinary issue that the NTPA and the rank and file members have uh, with the executive isn't that they're being, you know, kind of disciplined or that there's, uh, uh, you know, corruption going on in the police that, that needs to be addressed with disciplinary action. What they're upset about is that these disciplinary action notices on members are completely frivolous, mm. that they take two years, that there's a double standard, that um, the people who throw those on the rank and file officers commit worse offenses and never get disciplined. Mm. That, that, that's the issue there. But Kate Warden seems to understand this. Mm. You know, she said, I understand that we're doing this. And she said, we'll change it. And she said, from what I understand, it might take legislative changes. Uh, to do this, but we're committed to doing that. So I'm actually interested to see where that that's actually going to go. And and look, but she brought up Jeanette Kerr as well, saying that, um, uh, well, she said the restructure would not look at removing Chalker from the role. Katie had asked that. Uh, I think if you're doing a restructure, if you're fixing cultural problems, it starts at the top, right? I mean, this is no brainer, but again, they're still not publicly saying that. Uh, anyway, so she said, no, we won't be looking at that necessarily, something like that. But she praised the hard work again of Deputy Chief Executive of Territory Families, Jeanette Kerr, in bringing in reforms <laughs> in Alice Springs, which will also happen in Darwin. Um, so it sounds like they're having a bit each way there. <laughs> yeah. And their quote was, she, Kerr, is just pulling people together and making a plan and actually executing the plan, Warden said. She's actually doing things on the ground. Now, I don't know if that's in comparison to anybody else, but mm. uh, you got you to gotta wonder about the language there. Exactly. Like, oh. I just thought I was thinking about the word executing the plan and wondering if it was a Freudian slip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, and she's actually doing things on the ground in comparison to what the current commissioner um, now, look, with all of that that happened and that uh, being shut down, the CLP's uh, motion to have that parliamentary inquiry, out of, out of left field somewhere <laughs> comes this giant man with a, a posh British accent <laughs> that, you know, has become a laughing stock. I mean, let's be honest, like when he gets up in Parliament, it's like, oh, man, is he allowed to do this even? He gets up and he says... Uh, and while he respects Warden as police minister fixed the issues, he wants a royal commission into the anti-police of so the parliamentary inquiry. Yeah. He wants a royal commission. Now, I don't know. What, is the, what is the difference between a parliamentary inquiry and a royal commission? Well, the royal commission would be completely independent with retired judges and like actually okay. look at the issues. Parliamentary inquiry could be anything, really, Leon, right? Like, mm. I think how the CLP put it was, and even the CLP did this, which was funny. They said, three labor members, two CLP members and one independent. And it's like, uh, I guess you're trying to get them to vote for it, but, you know, try and give the independents more credibility here, or, you know, the opposition to, to, to do something. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think people are, are tired of Royal commissions. I don't think that there's much of an appetite for that. I think Turner probably would have been smarter to say um, a public inquiry, you know, you've got the parliamentary select committee stuff. I don't think that's going to find anything, but, 
is it time? And I had said this last week. I mean, when we have these officers to be in charge, we have a lack of confidence uh, uh, in, from the community in the anti-police at this point. And and the, and nothing to do with the rank and file members who are out there working hard and trying their best. But, uh, you know, they've got their issues that they can't seem to get fixed by the management. That There probably should be a public inquiry. But that would be something like, it doesn't have to be a royal commission. You get into that big thing where the lawyers get all the money and nothing happens. Uh, a public inquiry where you get a retired judge from somewhere. And, you know, there are ways to do this. Um, much more modestly than I think a big, you know, $100 million royal commission. Mm. But as we pointed out, I think it was the NT's the only police force in the entire country that hasn't had some sort of public inquiry into its operations. And I think we're at the point where, you know, did you remember that the guy before the last guy went to jail for perverting the courts of justice? Mm. I mean, what's the, what is the culture in there now? And I think the more that we talk with, with officers, we know something really serious is going on. And I get where the public would think, well, what faith can you have? And I think Leo Finocchiaro said that uh, with this uh, Labour government to, to now say that they're addressing the issues. They don't need a, a committee to do this or an inquiry. They'll do it themselves, but they got us here. Six years of them. This is their boy. This is their pick. Chalker was Michael Gunner's pick right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Chalker and, uh, or sorry, Gunner and um, Joey Ryan. And you remember NGS Global being involved in all of this too. The Barrel Arrow appointment stuff. So they clearly wanted him. It's taken, uh, well, and he's been here for what, three years now. And he's, and he's done this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I get why there wouldn't be confidence there um, with anybody. And I, I don't know how they do it unless they start taking action. And, and But I got to tell you, Leon, to be fair to Kate Warden, that's what I heard. I heard that she actually is. Like, we criticized her last week, I think, because I'd said, you know, the, the whole um, NTPA conference and I wrote an editorial about it, but why Chalker has to go. And it was a boring thing. They they played it up. Oh, we're going to take decisive action at that conference. And neither the government nor the NTPA did. Um, I think that the, the language has changed this week from war with Warden saying, really spelling out what she intends to do and talking about things that she's going to accomplish. So, you know, we'll, we'll give her that. I think she needs to move quickly on those things. I think we need to actually start seeing things change despite saying that. Um, yeah, so look, yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. Like I said, too, I think the, the quickest change to tell people you're serious is to get rid of the guy at the top, but she doesn't seem prepared to do that yet. However, they are talking up Jeanette Kerr. So we'll make of that what we will. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime... Yeah, you got and, something light for me, Leon? <laughs> uh, well, we're getting there. We, uh, well, this is, oh, this is, well, goodness me. Um, <laughs> the Labour government has attacked the CLP for harbouring an alleged white supremacist at its party functions. At the same time, Labour's former long-serving secretary stands trial in the Supreme Court for sex offences against a relative when she was a child. Uh, are we, how are you drawing the, those two uh, stories together like that, Chris? <laughs> well, this is it, Leon. I just, like, I wonder, and I had to sit back and think about that, and I'm like, what is, is this, is this the new nader for politics in the NT? No, probably not. I'm sure they'll find lower places to go. But for some reason, and I am, 
you know, like Robin Lamley says, there's no coincidences in politics. So it seemed that the uh, uh, labor had had waited a while. Well, I mean, I guess they're, they're saying it happened at the, uh, what was it, August 20th, the uh, Fannie Bay by-election party for the CLP that they had harbored on alleged white supremacists. I mean, Jesus Christ. I don't know. Anyway, the, the NT News, they given it to the NT News labor head. And the NT News claimed that this man, that they had seen photos that they're keeping to themselves. They're keeping private. Although they sent them to Leo Finocchiaro of an unidentified man who had, uh, who had um, uh, they're saying the NT News claims had made hand gestures and wore clothes associated with the Proud Boys. An American hate group. I don't know if you're familiar with the Proud Boys. Yeah, I, I've read about them in the yeah. uh, the January sixth uh, ins- insurrection. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and the funny thing, and like you know, Chancey Pake at the he put out a government press release about this as the of Attorney General. Did. <laughs> as of the Attorney General. As the Attorney wasn't General. on LinkedIn. <laughs> I better go check. It might, might have. Yeah, I'm sure. He issued an official government statement demanding that the CLP review their party members' possible allegiances to white supremacists. This is mm-hmm. what the attorney general said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any membership, if connected, uh, and call for the party to undertake cultural training. After this alleged photo, and we had to say, or allegedly emerged somewhere, of her allegedly posing with a man, Leah Finocchiaro, the CLP leader, who had, uh, they thought by the gestures in his clothing. I don't know what it, <laughs> you judge someone by how they talk and the clothes they wear. I think you'll be accused of, of, of hate or something well, in a different way. And have to undertake <laughs> cultural training. Yeah, or so racism. Yeah. No more wearing those black and yellow shirts uh, <laughs> uh, issued by that poor um, uh, company, I'm sure those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Disassociate themselves with these clowns. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, I mean, yeah, this is serious. But the way that they went on about this, um, um, do they honestly believe that the CLP is harboring these white supremacists? And and that was the word. And we thought, let's use that word because um, you remember Michael Gunner saying, if you provide, if you harbor anti-vaxxers, you're an anti-vaxxer. If you provide safe passage, and so, but then that kind of puts you in that in that context of okay but they're throwing this at at the clp on the same day that the trial starts for their former secretary of the party being up on child sex offenses um what is this like how 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 low have we gone in politics here where this is like well we got to deflect from that everybody so here's what we're gonna do i've got this photo of some man giving the A-OK sign that I know it as. <laughs> anyway, let's put it on the COP and say that. I mean, you talk about harboring white supremacists. I mean, they, this party heavyweight with the Labour Party has had run the party for the better part of the last decade. Um, this guy was harbored by them. He was provided this. Of course, these are allegations still before the court. Um, they, of course, didn't want to talk about that, and they haven't. And I remember Robin Lamley getting up in Parliament at, at one point, I think earlier in the year, and saying, why haven't you condemned him? I know it's before court, but why haven't you said that what this man is, is charged with does not reflect the values of the Labour Party? Why haven't you condemned him? Even though it's before the court, why haven't you said what he's charged with does not reflect the Labour Party? 
No, they didn't do that. They said nothing. I remember Gunnar looked down at the floor. He, he had nothing to say about that. So, you know, Katie Wolf, their credit had asked them uh, about that. It asked Chancey Pake on radio. And, you know, yeah, you're going after the CLP with these uh, allegations. Why aren't you saying that? And he said, well, the matter's before the courts. And then this is so bizarre what he said next. Leon. And it's like, OK, well, he said that he pledged that the Labour Party would continue to fight any behavior that is discriminatory, vicious, bigoted, and that puts people in harm's way. Adding, quote, and that's what we're asking the leader of the opposition to stand up. Because he's just, that's what he does. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I have real trouble with the way he carries on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, so, me too, Leon. Me too. Yeah, me too. Oh, but, but, but in that thing, he had a he had an opportunity to mm-hmm. denounce people charged with child sex offenses. Mm-hmm. No, he because, didn't it's, do because that. it's not racism. Yes, you know, yeah, that's, that uh, is that's, more that's important it. to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, and that's what I'm getting at with this whole thing. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I mean, both of these uh, behaviors are unacceptable. Um, why they think they should be throwing this stuff around the labor. Oh, let's just go and get the CLP on this. They have a photo of a guy. You had a guy in your ranks that right of a decade who's accused of molesting a child. That How is that? How are they not upset about that or saying anything about that? Uh, yeah. Look, anyway, we'll get into that. And here's what we can report. Of course, uh, the bulk of the trial is in closed court. Um, he did the labor figure plead not guilty on Monday at the start of his trial. Now, in some opening statements, the prosecution had told the court that uh, the alleged victim of this had participated in a pretext call last year, which was recorded by investigators and we played to the court in which the former labor staffers alleged to quote, have apologized to her repeatedly and referred to what he did as abhorrent. And that was according to prosecutor Tammy Greeley. Uh, the defense team led by barrister John Tippett did not make an opening statement. Uh, of course, the, uh, the, the uh, senior labor figure, former labor figure now, I guess, uh, has uh, uh, pleaded not guilty to those charges yeah uh i think you know by the time you know this comes out and then look this is it's very difficult and it's difficult what we can report on and what we can't because ultimately and we have this at our too as journalists uh, you got to protect the victim's identity in these issues so um we want to do that, I think, at some point. You know, we know that this happened uh, 20 years ago. They said near on 20 years ago, near on two decades ago. Um, that victim will, at some point, uh, under NT law, have the opportunity or ability to tell her story. Um, and that probably needs to happen. But I think that, that when all of the facts of this comes out, too, um, there will be people that are nervous in the party about what they knew and uh, when they knew it and what action was taken here because uh, uh, this person was allowed to do this for a while and we know that um, it did come out years ago uh, at least in certain circles and uh, anyway we'll uh, we'll wait for that we'll wait for the court process because we need that to happen for sure but yeah i mean i think everybody has an opinion on 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 uh you know, how the, 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 this type of offense is, is just completely unacceptable, uh, although Labour refuses to acknowledge that. 
anyway, much more to come on that. Okay. Uh, the next story, I think we discussed this last week, and maybe there's been some movement since then. The government delays new remote rental payment scheme after backlash. Was that because we discussed it last week on the podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> finally, uh, uh, yeah, look, I, I, I think that uh, they realized maybe they hadn't consulted. I think that's what they were saying, that they hadn't consulted with uh, tenants enough or they would give it until February. Now, it's supposed to start like what the, on Monday, I think, September 5th. So, uh, when you get October, November, December, January, yeah, you know, five, six months out here. Uh, now, of course, what this was, right? And we didn't know, remember, and I got to take you back to not even when we talked about the week before, but the week or two before that, when it came out that at an NTCAT hearing, uh, the government had written off $70 million in back rent. And now how that came out, and I, I can't remember, I think it was Amos, wasn't it, in the Australian who had reported that. And good on him because it was clear that the government was going to spin this into this nice announcement about how oh we've now gone back and we've checked uh, the rent scheme and we think that we can improve this for everybody and we'll collect more money for taxpayers they weren't going to say they were they were going to use the line that they've used in this thing now that uh, the back rents to yeah legacy rental debts have been waived up until December 11 2021 and it was like a line near the bottom and it's like, wait a second, what the hell does that mean? And they still haven't explained that, except we know that it went to NTCAD and we're talking $70 million just being written off completely. So, yeah, so the government now was caught out on the back foot. I don't know. They have that many people and they just get that lazy, that many employees that can spin things that can, all right, let's get this done, guys. It just happened at NTCAD. A journalist is going to find out. No, they don't do that. They wait. They're on the back foot. It blows up in their face. This could have been explained better to people. I think, well, one, to the people that matters most, to the, the, the tenants, uh, but also the territorians about how what, we've lost $70 million on this. Now, yeah, this new rent framework, which, you know, anecdotal reports saying that it could go up 200 bucks a week. It's based on, and they still haven't even explained this well enough, like, why are you doing this? What is this based on? Who's benefit? Like, how is this all going to work? Uh, we know that it's um, uh, with the first rent rise for remote public housing tenants in over a decade, around 76 or 65% sorry, of households will be negatively impacted, some groups had said. According to government, the new rental framework creates a quote-unquote fair system that's quote-unquote easy to understand and administer. Removes the need for bonds and charges tenants a flat rate of $70 per bedroom per week. Um, but in different areas, they also said that the government added that the new framework automatically provides a rental safety net for tenants identified as at risk of rental stress when this new framework comes into effect. But again, uh, there's not a lot of detail here. This is a big bungle on their part. Like I, I, think they had the right intentions maybe going into this, but this is a screw-up. Yeah, look, uh, as you're talking about them uh, spinning this, I, it reminded me of an article in the Australian I read today, Chris. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, uh, Jacinda Ardern, uh, has, well, her uh, departments at least, uh, have been spending close to or almost a billion dollars 
<laughs> on, on PR consultants. <laughs> Wait, external PR consultants. Um, well, that's what it said. Wow. She doesn't even need that, does she? Like, I don't know. People like her. I just save a billion dollars. Just be billion, yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, wow. so, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, it made me wonder how much the territory government is spending on spin doctors. <laughs> well, we know, we know internally 12 million, but yeah, I'm sure they're hiring other people doing those focus groups. And like this one, just my God, they could have done this so much better and explained this so much better to everybody. We still don't know. We're still confused. They put out a statement saying we're going to, you know, uh, defer this new rental scheme until February. But even in that release, it's not explained. They still haven't caught up to the point that they needed to be at months ago. Anyway, it's, yeah. All right. Well, well let's, uh, let's uh, end on what may be a, a positive note for some at least, but certainly a tip of the hat to our uh, co-host, my co-host at least, Peter Gowers. Uh, Darwin Bucks. The nationwide housing price decline trend. That's right. Uh, in fact, Darwin is now the only capital city in the country that did not record a drop in housing prices. Uh, I guess that was in the month of August, according to CoreLogic data. Uh, so every other capital city in the country um, recorded the drop. Now, of course, the anticipation is that that's going to continue and, and get big. But, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, on average, a 1.6% decline, uh, across the country. Darwin, uh, registered a 0.9% rise for the month in review. Uh, yeah, look, uh, CoreLogic research director, it said we're seeing housing values, uh, falling faster now. Than what we saw during the global financial crisis and also during the early 90s and uh, early 80s recessions. That's uh, troubling for a lot of people. Um, but yet, Darwin, somehow in our magical little economy up here at Leon, hasn't, hasn't made it here. Um, well, there might be a bit more to it than that, Chris, because, I mean, oh, yeah. well, you know, Core Logic is coming out and talking about all these, you know, the, uh, the, the statistics, but what I, I'm not reading here is, or maybe you have got it here, that the, that uh, um, how fast the property prices rose between mm -hmm. those years. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yes. 382%. Right. Does that sound right? Over the, the <laughs> 382% over 30 years. There you go. Right? <laughs> that, those were some um, figures that were out there, yeah. So, you know, and that that's the real story. Because for the Northern Territory, for Darwin at least, yeah. you know, between Impex 2013-14 and 2018-19, yeah. uh, we saw no growth at all. We saw, in fact, mm. property prices probably drop between 10 to 20%. Mm. Um, so I'm not surprised in the least that uh, the property prices are holding up here in, in Darwin. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you something else, Chris, that you, you may be interested in, and that is... There's a serious bottleneck in the release of land yeah, in Darwin yeah. and, and, and Alice Springs. And that yeah. is what is contributing, in my mind, to um, the rental prices going up. You know, and, and as long as rents keep going up, property prices will go up because they follow yeah. a yield pattern. That's it. And that's what they said, renters in particular facing persistent challenges and attaining affordable and secure housing as rents increased 9.8% uh, nationally over the past year, the fastest rate on record, CoreLogic also 
documented. So, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. And then uh, just some other stuff about Darwin. But, um, yeah, anyway, look, it, 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 yeah, it's very interesting. And we'll see how this continues and where it goes. But like I said, they're anticipating this uh, massive decline down south. So see what happens here. If we get people, I don't know, I still love that, right? Are we getting people? Are people coming to Darwin still? I remember look, last uh, time they were and then they weren't. And yeah, I, I, I think the projects that are in the pipeline that are certainly coming on. In fact, you had another story that we haven't covered this week uh, about the uh, um, the fuel storage facility. Yeah, the massive fuel right. tanks. Yeah, uh, I mean, all those type of uh, projects that are coming online are obviously attracting or requiring uh, people to come to the territory um, mm. because we certainly don't have the the, the workforce here as it is. Mm. Um, so I look, I, yeah, I think I think we're going to see uh, more upside here on the rent side of things for a while to come until the government somehow figures out how they're going to bring more land online. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and this is one of these issues that keeps going but it's yeah after the pandemic right i don't think anybody was expecting it to go like this i kind of threw everything off into a, a spin and um yeah we're coming to terms with that now so we'll be interesting what happens next yeah. yeah all right well thank you very much uh for another week of stories chris and i look forward to having you again next week with uh, peter gowers <laughs> sounds good leon we'll see you next week all right uh that is uh the with it at the end of another episode of the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Christopher Walsh from the NT Online Independent Newspaper. We'll catch you again next week. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.